Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. I am so excited to introduce to you today's guest. His name is Ben Columbus. Ben is the first person that I had the chance to interview that I have never actually had the honor of meeting in person, which was super exciting to me because Ben has such an incredible story. Ben identifies as transmasculine. His pronouns are he and they. He has such an amazing story that I loved learning about. Ben talks a lot in today's podcast about his experience being transmasculine, what that process looked like for him growing up, what that looked like in regards to his relationship with his body. We talked a lot about that and we talked about gender identity, which I learned a lot about because I didn't realize there was so much more to that than I knew. We also go into things about therapy, why our generation is more prone to talk about and go to therapy than earlier generations, things like that, or boundaries. We talk about healthcare so many things that I am so excited to share. I learned a ton in today's episode, but most importantly, I learned that we really don't know everyone else's experience, especially when it comes to privilege. Like we even talked about things like what it's like to go to the bathroom in a public restroom when you identify as trans. I learned a lot today and I'm excited to share, so enjoy. How's it going over there? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing good. You are in Louisiana, correct? Yep. Okay. Very, very nice. Well, I'm over in Nashville, so I'm a little, a little north of you, but it's nice and nice, hot and sweaty out there, which I'm assuming it is by you too. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Ben, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. For those listening, Ben is the first person that I have not met in person that I'm interviewing on this show, and I'm super stoked about it because I feel like I have so much that I can learn from this conversation. Um, just a little, Ben, you want to give uh, the people listening just like a little background about you, about where you're from, and a little overview of your story? Sure. My name is Ben Colungus. I use the pronouns he and they. Um, I was assigned female at birth. I identify as transmasculine, genderqueer, non-binary. I uh, grew up in Louisiana, just outside of New Orleans. I uh, lived in Washington State while I was in the Navy for a few years. And then I moved back to, New to the New Orleans area in 2017. Um, I'm a photographer. I do some advocacy work for trans folks and TG uh, trans and gender nonconforming folks. And yeah, I work at a grocery store and that's where I'm at right now. That is awesome. Thank you very much for sharing, Ben. I, I want to start this off by asking pretty much what I ask everyone at the start of the podcast. And I really love getting to know these stories, too, just because it's such a new conversation for me to talk about. But what, how would you describe the relationship that you have with your body? I would say it's ever-changing, um, a roller coaster. There's times where I feel more connected to it than others. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm putting out fires, um, you know, tending to mental health or tending to my physical health. Like I'll, I feel like I get 
ingrained in one or like stuck in a groove with one and trying to tend to that one that I'll sometimes lose sight of the other ones. And so it's this constant like balancing act of trying to get those things aligned or in, in balance with one another. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. How, how would you say that kind of connects like your mental health to like your physical health and whatnot? Like where do you see all those connections? In the past, uh, I'd say probably about two years ago when I was in grad school, I've, I was very active like in the gym or doing calisthenics a lot. Um, and I was in therapy here and there when I needed it. Um, and that I think that was like the best I've ever felt in my life. When I look at kind of where I am now, sometimes I can be hard on myself and be like, why can't you just be this version of yourself that you were two, three years ago? Um, but, you know, I have to reconnect and realize, well, you were, there were different circumstances there. That was then, this is now. You know, even when I was doing that, um, I was working out, but also making sure that I was eating the, the right amounts of food to support my body to do those workouts. And even some of that has shifted over the time, over the last few years, just as other things kind of got put on my plate, I guess I maybe became a little bit disconnected from my body and just started going through these motions of everything else that's going on in life. I think Mm -hmm. it's important to have, to create a practice of being intentional about being connected to the body so that we don't lose ourselves. Uh, And that's kind of where I'm at now is like trying to get back in, trying to get back to this. Maybe it won't be the spot I was in two years ago, but maybe, you know, it can be close to that or as I start to just prioritize my body. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. That's kind of like a similar spot that I've been in with the past couple of years of realizing that like, that is even a relationship I had to care about between me and my body. Like, I think I realized that for the first time um, earlier this year, I was in eating disorder treatment and we had to do this letter writing thing between us and our body and realizing that my body was like this whole separate, well, that like was this entity that like I was relating to and like how I thought about it and how I was actually treating it and whatnot was so fascinating to me. And I think like the best way to describe it is kind of like the sobering up moment of like, oh, wow, this is how you actually treat yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So it's so interesting to hear other people's other people's experiences with that. How old were you when you realized you wanted to transition? I think I knew at a very young age that I was different. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't, I was assigned, as I said, I was assigned female at birth. Um, you know, my mom would always want to have me in dresses and things like that. And I just didn't subscribe to that. I didn't want that. Um, I was always, always played with boys um, or we're doing like, I'm air quoting right now, like boy things. Um, and so I think at a very young age, I knew I was different or that there was something that was not aligning for me. Um, and then, you know, based on the way that society molds us on this binary gendered thing, based on the, um, you know, what we have between our legs for lack of better words, like when we're born is so then that, you know, okay, it formed this thing of, I'm a girl, you know, I have these body parts, that means I'm a girl, and I'm supposed to navigate the world or show up in the world in a certain way. And then in high school or middle school, um, actually, you know, in first grade, I remember kind of 
liking a girl in first grade for, you know, whatever these little kid crushes are. And I think it's important, I guess, to note to like sexual orientation and gender identity are two different things. It just so happens that, you know, at that time I was identifying as a kid, you know, first of all, <laughs> but as a yeah. girl who, and then, and like, again, like I, at a young age, I didn't know what any of that meant. I just knew that I really like liked this person more than any of these other people. And um, for Valentine's Day, instead of just giving out these little, you know, just giving, you know, we, I gave all my classmates these little Valentine's Day cards, but I also wanted to get this particular person like a teddy bear or something. It's like mm. looking back on that, I can see that. And then so in middle school, as I'm my friends or other people at school are starting to get boyfriends, girlfriends, and I'm realizing, well, I like women but that's I can't be in a relationship with a woman because that's not okay I also was raised uh, Catholic and went to a Catholic mm-hmm. school so very much of that was put on me to not engage in that or like in, in turn you know I just internalized it that it wasn't okay I came out in high school as a lesbian and then I thought you know for a long time that that's what I am I'm a woman who likes women I'm a lesbian but still very masculine or center there I was in the military and under the Obama administration, it became okay for, you know, people to serve openly as trans. But I hadn't connected all the dots yet at that point. And I was actually on my within my last year of service when that happened. And I just remember thinking, I don't think this is going to be a safe environment for people to do this. As much as I support it, I'm concerned for people. And then once I got out, or towards, uh, say, the last few months of my time in service, so around the end of 2016, it started kind of becoming more of a reality for me, or things started to line up and click a little more. And um, I told my partner at the time that I wanted to go, I wanted to go by Ben and use male pronouns like he, him, and his. And so she and her mom started using Ben and male pronouns to talk about me. And then again, I was living in Washington at the time. So then I called my my parents or t- maybe I text them. I'm not sure. And kind of told them, hey, you know, I know I'm going to be moving back soon. There's some things I want to talk about. I think I'm trans. This is what this means. And I kind of, I don't remember exactly what I sent them, but I think I sent them some resources that I had found. Um, they were supportive of me being a lesbian. My mom and I butted heads a little bit at first, but overall they've been pretty supportive of me being within the LGBTQ community. So I wasn't, I was a little concerned to tell them, but at the same time I wasn't, I guess. So when I moved back home, I talked to them and around, it was April of 2017, um, a trans athlete came to speak at Tulane University in New Orleans and he was about 29. I think I was right around that age. I was almost 29 when I saw this talk, when I heard this talk and it just really, that's when it really clicked for me. I cried because I thought I was too old to do this. I was like, well, if I was going to do this, I would have had to do this at some other point. And I was viewing it as very binary thinking that, well, if I say I'm trans, then that means I have to be on hormones. I have to change my name and my pronouns. I have to have surgery to remove my breasts. I have to have surgery to change my genitalia. I have to do all these things to fit in, to be trans. Cause that's, I didn't know a lot about it. I mean, I knew I had friends that had transitioned, but even still, like I just didn't fully understand everything. Mm-hmm. And as I, I, so I bought this book 
I can't remember the name of it at this time. I think it's called transcripts or trans, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly, but it had these different accounts from different people who identified as somewhere under the transgender umbrella or gender nonconforming. And it just, it painted these pictures of, you know, some of the people did have, did do hormones and they didn't want to have any surgeries or some people didn't want to do hormones or do surgeries at all and just socially transitioned. So changing their name and changing their pronouns and other people, you know, did chose to have hormone replacement therapy with a surgery for their chest and with a surgery for their genitalia. And it just painted this picture, a more clear picture of reality for me is that you don't have to do all these things. You do what feels right for you and your body and your experience of the world. Um, so for that, I started, I went to, I started some therapy and I guess June of 2017 found a provider who I could talk to about my transition. And like when I started going to this doctor, that's what I told them I wanted to see them for. And within two months, I, I didn't, I thought I only wanted to have surgery for my chest top, which we call top surgery because I, even before identifying as trans, I knew I didn't feel connected to my breasts and I'd always want, or not always, but at some point wanted to had this idea of, yeah, I want to get these things removed. Mm-hmm. So, um, but after talking to the doctor and having a better understanding of how hormones work and um, what the effects might be, I decided to also start hormone replacement therapy. So I started that in August of 2017. So I'm almost, I've almost been on testosterone for three years. And um, I finally just recently had top surgery uh, at the beginning of June. So I'm about five weeks post-op. Oh, wow. And, That's recent. Um, yeah. And so I've been out of work since then because my job is pretty uh, physical. So I'll be going back to that um, next week or the following week. I'll be, you know, easing back into work. But uh, there's, and that's even another thing is to realize when we talk about surgeries, there's different types. So not all people who choose to have surgery have the same surgery. Um, So it's just, just as unique as people are in all these other ways, transitions are very unique as well. And we can't just label them as one thing. And I think that's part of what harms some people's connection to their bodies. Cause I think, you know, we think, Oh, I have, first off I'm assigned with these body parts. So I have to live my life this way. But then you kind of realize, well, wait, I could do this other thing, but then you still think there are these rules, I guess, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, so I've, after doing some work of breaking down gender as a binary and realizing that I can exist, not only me, but other people can also exist in just different you know, there's sure there's male and female, but there's, if we look at those as two opposite ends, you can be anywhere between those. And so, yeah, I identify, like I said, as transmasculine. Initially, I rejected a lot of the feminine, feminine traits I had, whether they were physical or just kind of like mannerisms or other things I'd picked up ways I'd been socialized. I rejected them when I first started my transition because I was, I think I was tired of people seeing me as female and I wanted people to see me as not female. And then again, only knowing gender as really binary. So that I was like, well, that means they need to see me as male. So, um, I struggled a lot with that in the beginning. It was very frustrating when people would still say she or, um, call me my old name. And then, you know, I kind of got to the point where I realized these people don't define me. I define me. And so whether they're calling me, she, or my old name or something that's not me, I don't, need to subscribe to that. I don't need to buy into that. I, you know, just reaffirming with myself who I am 
Mm. Wow, that is an incredible story. You're just so brave. I think it. there's so much to say for someone who realizes something about themselves and realizes that that's the life that they want to live and just finding ways to go on that journey and being who you are. I think that that's incredible. And I I love how you talked about the, the spectrum for gender identity with male being on one side and female being on the other. I've never heard it that way before. And that makes it make like a lot of sense. Because um, I... I just started looking at this stuff uh, maybe like two-ish years ago because I came out as bisexual. And so that was my first time really being in conversations with people in the LGBTQ community and learning all the different all the different ways to look at our sexuality and our gender. And it's so fascinating and then so sad because the norm is putting people in these very black and white boxes when that just that takes away so much of someone's humanity by trying to mm-hmm. just, you're here, you're here. And so that's a really great way of explaining it. What was it like for you as a little kid being raised Catholic, knowing there was something different about you, knowing that like, I, I mean, I wasn't raised Catholic. I was raised really Christian. Um, mm-hmm. So I can only imagine, I, I'm assuming it was like somewhat similar. I don't know a lot about Catholicism, but from my experience, I could imagine that would be really hard, like emotionally and mentally and just like I was raised, like my parents were super homophobic. And so it kind of just raised me to believe that that something different about me was like something um, like wrong and bad. And yeah, what was that like for you, like emotionally? And how did you experience that? Like I said, I kind of knew it as, as a young age, like I had that little moment and I don't think it really made sense until about middle school. And then, so I had some friends who I felt comfortable enough opening up to. And I told them first and I told them in middle school, I'm pretty sure, or maybe it was high school. I don't know. I know I didn't tell my parents till high school. I was hesitant to tell my parents and I didn't actually plan to tell them. I had gone to therapy because I knew I needed to talk about this. And I, my mom was asking me what was wrong. Like my grades were slipping. I, I was a pretty good student and my, my grades are usually really well. And they were slipping in, in some classes. And she's like, well, what's going on? You know. So then I, I told her I don't want to talk about it. So I, she put me in therapy. I went to therapy for a little bit. And it didn't really, I don't, I had, and I don't know if, I don't know. I didn't really like it, I guess. But I did talk to the therapist about it. And one day, my parents divorced when I was younger. So um, one day, we, my dad was bringing us home during the week from going to have dinner with him and we were in the living room at my mom's house and I remember them asking me well I don't know what what's going on like in therapy what's I don't understand what's the problem and I just came out and said I'm gay and my mom I think was in denial for a bit or she she didn't want other people to know and I that was I think you know as looking back I can see that being as this is my first child I've I'm imagining she dealt with some sort of what have I done wrong? Um, when I, you know, I've raised my child this way and now they're going against it. So I don't know what that's like to be a parent to like instill these things in your child and have them go against it. But I'm sure she had to process that. Um, so we, we butted heads in general, just me being a teenager and my mom being my mom, but then also about that. Um, my dad was more chill about it. He didn't really 
care. I mean, like he cared about me and he cared. He wanted me to be safe. His main concern was like, how are other people going to treat my child? And I think my mom had that fear too. But I think my, my dad wasn't, was raised Catholic, but also his family, I wouldn't really say they they were like practicing Catholics. Someone used the term the other day, like Easter and Christmas Catholics. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like they (laughs) celebrate Easter, they celebrate Christmas and Sometimes my dad's side didn't really go to church. My mom and some of the people on her side go to church week every weekend, you know, every, weekly. In eighth grade, there's this sacrament in the Catholic Church called confirmation, and I've been separated from the Catholic Church for quite a while now. So, but basically, it's you know you get you get baptized into the church as a child or a baby, and then your confirmation is when you, as a young adult, are like saying, "Yes, I am." It's not a rebaptism, but it's it's you. Cons- uh, taking on, like committing to the re- the practice, basically the religion, and choosing it for yourself. And I told my mom I didn't want to do that because I knew I, you know, identified as within the LGBTQ community, and I knew that that was just so heavily rejected, especially like in school and just in church. So I told her I don't want to do it, and she made me do it anyway, and I was. You know, I told her, like, that doesn't make any sense. Do you understand the point of the sacrament? And so I think from then I just got this thing of, okay, this is all about just going through the motions to you. So I think I've always questioned some of my family members' connection to their religion. Like, what do they actually get out of it? Or And it doesn't, it doesn't really matter, right? That's their practice. And it's everybody has their own practice. But, you know, I was like, I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to, I, you know, I, we butted heads about going to church when I was 18. I, you know, or even probably 16 to 18, I was like, I don't want to go anymore. She's like, well, if you don't go, then your brother's not going to want to go. Um, my brother's three years younger than me. So I think it was this way of her being like, I'm the parent, what I say goes. And I can't say you can't go, but then expect your brother to go. And I think with him being a little younger, she still wanted to, and maybe she was dealing with, Again, I don't know, but maybe she was dealing with that as I was growing older and about to go be out on my own, dealing with that of like having to loosen the reins and like let me do let me live for me. Um, so we struggled a little bit. Uh, I went and lived with my dad for a little while. After that, he lived a bit further away from my school though. So then I eventually came back to living with my mom, and our relationship has definitely improved over the years. Um, there's still some stuff she doesn't quite get and you know i try to gently remind her about things or teach her things but um we don't really she's definitely not still trying to push catholicism on me she realizes she has her practice i have my own religious or spiritual practices that i've you know kind of gone through and tried so i pretty much yeah separate it from after graduating and what and moving out and not being forced to go to church i didn't go and i didn't connect to religion for a long time. And I just thought it was, this is, this is what's wrong with the world or, you know, just all this. I was just very anti-religion for a bit. Then I met a friend in college who taught me about Buddhism and I practiced that for a little bit. And I would say now I've kind of just gotten into this sort of spiritual mindfulness, you know, mindfulness and gratitude practices have become really important to me. So I'd say it's more spiritual than religious of anything, but it was definitely challenging. Um, I went to Catholic school, middle school and high school. I went to an all girls high school. So that was challenging too. I did date a girl in high school and it was like, we couldn't, our friends at school knew, but we couldn't like hold hands or do anything at school and not saying that kids need to be doing that at school anyway, but 
um, there was just these, you know, we knew that there were these things that we cannot do here and we cannot talk about here. Um, and then her mom knew we were friends and knew I was gay and was, she was fine with that. But then uh, once she found out we were dating, that was not okay. So I had to deal with this like separation in a relationship that was not what either one of us wanted, but it was what her mom wanted. And she brought me this letter one day with these Bible verses in it telling me how I was a bad influence on her daughter or I was, um, I don't know, it's right on the tip of my tongue. And I can't, <laughs> can't spit it out. Um, corrupting, corrupting. I was corrupting her daughter. And I just, that just further pushed me from, you know, pushed me further from the church because I'm, and I never, I still to this day don't understand why some people in the Catholic church are so hell bent around this LGBTQ thing when some, you know, some of these commandments or some of these other things that are in the Bible are also not okay, according in the Catholic faith, like divorce or having a kid out of marriage. But people still do that and they still go to church and they're not constantly judged. But people who are within the LGBTQ community are always judged. And it just, it didn't feel like a safe space. So I didn't want to be there. And I wasn't taught about, you know, boundaries as a kid. And I think I'm finally at 30, 32, you know, learning what boundaries are and how to set them and that it is okay to set them. So that's been part of my journey over the last few years too, is putting that there for, you know, various reasons and, and in various different relationships, um, whether it be with friends or just people I engage with or people, clients with photography or, you know, just whatever, like learning that it is okay to set these boundaries and put them out there. And when you put them there, like people can start to respect them, but if they're not there, then they don't know what they are. And then I think that kind of, help that sort of disconnects us from our body too is when we're just letting all these other outside influences impact us Mm -hmm. no absolutely i've been learning a lot lately about boundaries (laughs) oh my gosh that has been the hot topic in so many of my friendships like i feel like boundaries has been at least from my experience has been a newer conversation that wasn't like taught growing up I didn't hear about it from my friends I didn't hear about it from teachers like maybe I just wasn't listening but I feel like it's definitely a newer thing for like this generation do you have any like opinions or thoughts on why that is well I can't speak for you but I don't know that you weren't listening I don't I just don't think they were being taught at least not for me um you know and I feel like that's why my mom still struggles with that's if my mom knew about boundaries and taught me about them she wouldn't be upset at me when I come and when I tell her like, no, I don't want you to come over today. And instead of getting all, you know, she takes it personally. And I said, this isn't about you. This is about me. I don't have that capacity today. Okay. So for me in my situation, I definitely wasn't taught it. And I think it comes down from, from them not being taught it. My mom wasn't taught about boundaries What her. And that's, like I said earlier, you know, I'm the parent, what I say goes, and that's, that's how she was brought up. And so that I think heavily influenced her parenting style, I think. And maybe, I, I won't say it's all attributed to this, but it probably has to do with a shift about the stigma of mental health and like going to therapy. So I think a lot of people learn boundaries probably in therapy or that that's commonly talked about in support groups or like self-help practices. And like, at least I learned about it in therapy. And then also when I went to a conference for um, a trans conference in Philadelphia, there was like a whole workshop about boundaries. And I thought it was, I, I attended it because I, I was really intrigued by it because like I hadn't learned about it. And what, what does that mean? And I was able to realize like how some of these, 
this lack of these lack of boundaries or in past relationships when a partner of mine may have set a boundary i too like my i said with my mom i would take it personally and i it's now i can realize it has nothing to do with me that that is with them and their capacities and what's going on and i think so like we're as we're i find that our generation is more pro therapy and like going to getting help we need and not only getting it for ourselves, but encouraging our friends and family members to do it as well, because I think a lot of us have seen the benefits of it and whatever that might be. I mean, therapy could be sitting and talking to someone. It could be meditation. It could be programs or, you know, treatment centers and things, these different things, uh, retreats, other things. So I think we're finally starting to call BS on a lot of the stuff we were taught, you know, and yeah. be like, well, this doesn't serve me. And I think we're starting to empower more people to speak and to let their voice be heard. Yeah, no, that that is amazing. I am the most pro therapy, so I'm getting all excited hearing you saying all this. <laughs> what? How old did you say you were again when you first went to therapy? I went in high school for a few sessions just to mainly talk about being a lesbian and just saying that I was I was sitting with that and I hadn't told anybody. And I needed yeah. to feel like that was okay. And then, well, sorry, I answered your question. I, I know I ramble. So yes, I was in high school. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. I was just going to ask, like, if that was hard for you at the beginning, like, did you have other friends going to therapy? Was it just kind of like your own personal thing? Or did you feel like you were able to talk about it? What was that like? I don't know that I, I, I think because it was so short and like, I didn't realize the power of therapy then. Um, so I don't really remember if I told people, I don't think I had friends that were in therapy. It's, it doesn't seem like it was something that was talked about. I really don't even know how I started going because my mom, I mean, to this day, I still try to get her to go to therapy for different things or, and, you know, say, Hey, have you thought about talking to a therapist about this? Um, and she's like, no, no, no. And I don't know that any of my family has gone. So it wasn't, I'm not sure. Maybe I talked to a guidance counselor or something, or maybe I'm not really sure how I started going but I don't think it was really talked about. I don't remember talking about it with friends or maybe I might've mentioned it to a couple close friends. Um, yeah. But again, like I said, I only went, I think a few times and I didn't really, when I seek therapists now, I prefer to have female therapists and this guy was a, a male and I don't know, I haven't really jumped, you know, try to dig into that of if I just didn't feel comfortable with him. And if, if, if so, like why I'm not really sure. That definitely makes sense. Did you feel like throughout, uh, throughout even just like coming out originally as gay and then realizing you wanted to transition, was therapy a really, really key component in all that? Like, did you learn a lot from that that helped, I guess, with the emotional side of everything? Most of the time, so far, when I've gone to therapy, it's been around relationships um, mm -hmm. and dealing with either... And not, it wasn't couples therapy. It was just me going to therapy, dealing with some of the things that I realized. Um, or it was like after a breakup or just realizing some of the insecurities I had and how that was negatively impacting my relationship. So I went, I went in high school, but then I didn't go again until, until I was in the military. So, and it was towards the end, about 2016. Yeah, 2016. So I went in maybe 04, 05 in high school, or maybe that was like 03. And then I didn't go again until... I was in the military. And I think a lot of that also has to do with like the stigma around it. In the, there's this thing of like, well, if I, while I'm in the military, if I go to get seek mental health, mental health help, 
I'm going to be looked at as damaged goods. I'm not going to be able to, to serve. And I remember being really not wanting to disclose that when I even joined the military to say that, that I had gone. Cause I was worried, like, would that disqualify me? And so I think, you know, in the, in the military, when I started going, it was definitely about realizing some of the insecurities I have. And again, looking back, I can see now that it was very much related to my not feeling comfortable in my body and then how that I would project that into my relationship. So yeah, I went a couple times, two different times in the military. And then when I moved back home, I started going to a therapist, um, to refer me to, you know, talking to a, a physician about top surgery in my future. There's all these rules, you know, it varies from insurance provider to insurance policy to providers of what is required to do certain things. I started going to therapy to just kind of, yeah, kind of process that. Also went through a breakup around that time. So I was going to therapy twice a week. And then as I got more comfortable, I stopped going. But some things have shifted in my life recently and I've started looking into, well, I mean, there's also just a lot going on in the yeah, world right now. Definitely a strange um, year. Yeah. And so trying to navigate the things that I'm going through as well as all this other stuff, I've started to look into trying to get an appointment with a new therapist um, to start talking about some of that stuff. So mm-hmm. I realize I've gotten better about realizing when I need, when I'm starting to get uh, to that point where I'm like, oh, these some things are about to happen. I'm, it's probably going to benefit me to be in therapy to process this. And I think if people just viewed it as there's tools that we just talked about not being taught about boundaries, right? So there's tools that we weren't given. And it doesn't mean that our parents were bad parents. It doesn't mean it just they didn't have the tools either. So they didn't know to give them to us. So I look at therapy as this way for me to get these tools to maybe to get this outside person's guidance or just they can kind of get me to think of things in a different perspective or pose different ideas or you know because I, I think we can get in our heads a lot and we stuck on this we're, we're looking at it we're looking at it so narrowly narrowly and where this other person can say well but what if that's not it what if it's this and then you're like oh you know, i didn't think of it like that and that can kind of loosen up and we can be like not as hard on ourselves to navigate whatever the struggle is that we're going through. I know when I was in grad school, I was approaching finals, like my last semester, my finals, my mom was about to have a surgery and I was going to be the primary person like taking care of her at home. So I knew that was going to be a lot for me and like immediately, you know, went to, through my healthcare provider to get sur- to get therapy specifically for that. And I was in it for a few weeks and then, you know, I was done. But I think when you, I mean, when we talk about therapy, I'm, privileged to have access to it. There's so many people who, who need it and don't have access. And I, that's just another, that's a whole, it's a a whole another topic, you know, it's just frustrating. Absolutely. What would you say your experience was like when you were in the military as regards to like your relationship with your body? Cause just from knowing, I mean, I have no idea what it's like to be in the military in general, but just knowing what kind of pressures are on us, even in like sports and stuff to like ignore our body when they're in pain and push through it and do this and do that and just kind of ignore everything happening to get this job done that I could only imagine what that's like. Yeah, I didn't do so I didn't deal with a lot of, I guess, physical pain. I ha- I wasn't ever in any situations. I wasn't. Um, like in a combat zone or anything like that. So I didn't face a lot of this potential, you know, I, in the Navy, it's not as, you know, boots on ground, like the, the army or the Marine Corps. And I worked on aircraft. So I didn't necessarily feel that 
it was more so the mental fatigue or the there's you know a problem i'm troubleshooting electronics to make sure that they work for this plane to take off for a mission so it's this it was more of a mental thing for me but the physical stuff i guess it wasn't really around it was more so and what my body it's you know when i'm going to the doctor in the military and i'm going to a gynecologist and this doctor's asking me these questions about well how many partners have you had? Or are you using protection or this and that? Are you using birth control? And when I say no, they look at me like, well, you've had this many partners and you've never used birth control. And I'm like, well, they're all women, but you didn't ask that question. You didn't give me the option to, to say that. So I got to the point where I started to get bold about advocating for myself. So I would just write it in. Anytime I filled out a paper and it asked me about my, you know, well, what are you using? I would just write in same sex partner. Cause they never could put that as an option. So I, that might've like derailed from your conversation, your question, but um, just that wasn't specific to the military. It was just, it happened to be something that happened at that time, but it was being very, um, there's, I mean, I feel like my experience in the military, there was a lot of toxic masculinity. Um, it is a predominantly male culture. Um, and so it was having to deal with, and I was, I've, as I said before, I was more masculine. So, I mean, the uniforms, we all, we all had the same uniform. Our day to day uniform was all the same. And uh, there'd be different gendered uniforms, like different types of uniforms are gendered, but the day to day one that I wore, everybody wore the same thing. But just even those those ones that I did have to wear that were, I guess, gendered, they were cut for women. And that was, I didn't like emphasizing my breasts, like the way it was cut to like, you know, have a space for your breasts to be there and to, to for it to be fitted to your breasts and then for it to be fitted at your waist and then flare out for your hips. I just, I would struggle with wearing that uniform because it reminded me of these, these parts of my body that I just didn't or these things about my body that made me feminine that I didn't want, or I, it just was this constant reminder of you're not the way that you want to be or yeah. Man, I just can't imagine the kind of turmoil that could put on your mind and just how you see yourself and probably feels really isolating. I'm imagining. I, I don't even know that I noticed it at the time, you know, a lot of this stuff comes, it's, it all starts to click as you, as I said, like with getting these tools in therapy and getting these different perspectives, I can look back then and be like, Oh, this is why I was so miserable. Um, I, I, I actually was, I mean, when I wasn't at work, I pretty much spent time at my apartment by myself or I'd volunteer at like an animal shelter, but I spent a lot of time by myself. Uh, I would do stuff with friends here and there, but, and maybe that, maybe, yeah, maybe it was, I don't know until you just said that word isolate. I don't, maybe I did isolate because of that. Yeah. What, um, you, you're saying tools from therapy, what kind of tools other than like boundaries, what are some really helpful things that you've taken away over the years that have helped with just how you view yourself and how you take care of yourself mentally, emotionally, all of the things. For me, as I mentioned kind of before, mindfulness and gratitude. I used to keep a gratitude journal where I would write each morning and each night I'd write things that I was grateful for. And then I got to the point where I don't write that journal. I don't write in that journal anymore, but it's become this just part of my everyday life where I'll find myself in these different moments of being like, oh, I'm grateful for this thing. Sometimes it's being able to listen to music. Sometimes it's my dog. Sometimes it's having shelter. Sometimes it's having food or being able, you know, being able-bodied, just different things. And then with mindfulness, 
Um, I'd say some mindfulness practices, grounding is important to me. Um, I like to be outside and connect to the earth. So not just like also like being kind of barefoot and feeling the grass beneath my feet or feeling the, the actual ground beneath my feet, but also listening to these sounds. Um, sometimes when I would get overwhelmed in therapy, my, she would encourage me to just close my eyes and listen and tell her three things that I heard. So uh, it's just kind of, you know, getting in touch with these senses that are typically just functioning without us realizing it. Uh, practice yoga. I haven't done much lately, but yoga was very important to me to feel connected to my body. And I think it's really helped me feel more connected to my body and be aware of taking that time and just, and even sometimes it's laying in Shavasana, just laying on your back and just feeling, being mindful of what's going on um, in different parts of your body. It's helped me learn to move my body in ways that I felt like I couldn't as someone who felt like, Oh, I'm masculine. I can't move in this feminine way, but it's, and it's not even to say that yoga is feminine, I guess, but the way that society teaches us things, they'd be like, Oh, you know, guys aren't supposed to do yoga. It's a women's thing or it's, it's weak or something, you know? And so I started practicing yoga before transitioning and it's been this thing that's definitely, I was a little nervous about going to practice as I started to transition because, you know, for a while I was wear a shirt, a tank top with a sports bra, but looked pretty masculine. And I mean, I was going by Ben and he, so sometimes that would be, if I didn't know the space, I would be in my head about what are other people going to think? Are they going to look at me and think I'm weird? You know, but I actually, I mean, yoga and many of the yoga spaces I've been in, everybody's all doing that same internal work, paying attention to their body. So it's not, it's not like that. There may be, there've been times where people, you know, I have some friends who are yoga instructors and they're pretty, some of them are pretty open to feedback and we'll talk about just ways and, or they're already even doing some of this stuff to be more inclusive in their classes to, you know, when they're saying to use gender neutral language when they're speaking about different things or you know, so I think that's really cool. And that, that helped me because it was this space that was very gender neutral and everybody was, whether there's men or women or people who are non-binary in the class, we're all doing these, these poses together, but individually. And it's each person's journey is, is like, we're on these individual journeys, but, but also they're together in community. Yeah, man, there's something so beautiful about that. I love that. It's like, I love how you were saying everyone's doing their own internal work and their own, their own work on their relationship with their body and connecting, but you're all doing it like at the same time together. And I think that that's, that's really, really special. I, I used to do yoga so much and now I never do it. And you're making me want to go back and do (laughs) yoga again, post pandemic, go back and find some classes, but that's really special. That's really special. I don't think we were recording yet when you were talking about this. So if we were, I'll just like rearrange an editing or something. But um, you were mentioning earlier about how originally you wanted to go by he, him pronouns, but now now you want to do he, they and mm-hmm. be less like fully masculine or or remind me of what you were saying about that. Um, I think I talked about it a little bit a few minutes ago about just being wanting to kind of stray away from the feminine parts of my life or because I was trying to establish this male 
or not persona, I mean, my identity, this male identity, um, for people to see me how I saw myself internally. But over time, I've gotten more comfortable with, as I've started to chip away at not viewing gender as this binary thing, I was able to kind of be like, oh, I don't, yeah, I can be me and whatever that means. Like that might mean some days I do things that are feminine. Some days I do things that are masculine. And that can be true for people who are cisgender too, people who identify with the sex or gender they were assigned at birth. You don't have to be trans to have this, your gender expression and can be fluid. So then I said they, because sometimes I feel like if I strict stick to this binary of he or man or male, um, it erases part of my experience. And that's not to say there, there's not trans people who, who don't want to be, you know, who strictly want to be called man or woman. And that's, that's valid too. But for me, I feel like this paints my whole picture and that maybe I wasn't so against these feminine things. It's just that I thought that's what I had to do because we're taught everything so strictly in this binary, whether it's about gender identity or sexual orientation. It's like, you're either, Oh, you're either. And even, you know, in, in the LGBTQ community, bisexual people often get overlooked, right? It's like not valid or, and it's just like, that's such people think, Oh, you just want attention or things like that. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like that is how that person identifies. You identify as whatever else. And that's okay. All of these things, there is enough space for all of us to exist here in whatever ways that identify that fit with us. Mm-hmm. We don't have to Absolutely. police each other. Are there some things that like you would like to share to whoever's listening about just ways that we as a culture can be more respectful and just more educated about the trans community, things that like we should or should definitely not do or say. Definitely. I mean, just I, it's 2020. There's so much information on the internet, right? That it can be, it's a quick Google search away. So some of these questions, let's say you happen to meet someone who's of trans experience or gender nonconforming experience, and you want to ask them something about being trans in general. First off, you probably, if you just met them, you should not be asking them these questions unless they're on a panel and they're subjecting them, you know, they're opening up themselves for that. But if this is just a person you meet, it's not really appropriate to ask them anything about their transition. And it's, it's up to them to share that part of, I mean, it's just like any other thing, you know, we're not, you don't have to share your whole life story with somebody when you first meet them. So just kind of being respectful, like if you happen to meet somebody and you know that they're trans or gender nonconforming, let let them open up about that if they choose to. And I think if someone, even if they do open up to you, it's still not your story to tell. So just because someone discloses that information to you, it doesn't mean that it's yours. It's okay for you to tell other people about it. Even if that person is open on my, my, my Instagram is public and it's, I'm completely open on it, but that still doesn't give people the right to share my story without my permission. And I would say that's, that's true with other things in, in people's lives as well. To not ask, I was kind of almost wondering if you were going to ask like, well, what was your old name? And I was like, don't ask that. I'm so glad you didn't. Um, Cause <laughs> I think a lot of people like will ask that and it's just, it's not relevant. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. Like just Googling stuff and looking up ways to be a better and aspiring ally because allyship is not a destination. It's a journey. And we can't call ourselves allies of groups that we're not a part of. That's something that someone from that group might call us, but we can aspire to be allies because I think that it's, it's like I said, it's never done. It's a lifelong commitment to continually un- unlearning and then relearning what's actually true. 
or what's right for that community. So I think, and like listening for pronouns and just the more we can um, normalize that of just even some people, I see it in people's um, email signatures, they'll have their pronouns or in their, in their bio on Instagram, some people will have their, and these are people that are also that are trans or non-conforming, but also people who are cisgender and they'll put them on there. And I think it's just a way to normalize just putting those out there. And we shouldn't assume someone's pronouns just by the way that they're dressed or the way that they look. Those are just some things that are immediate that are coming off the top of my head. Mm. Do you think it's appropriate for if, um, if we were like unsure to ask someone what their pronouns are? You know, I've had this happen to some people before. I've heard other friends of asking this. And I think one way to do that might be to say, to not necessarily ask that person, but just, if you're just meeting them, maybe you go up to them and say, hey, I'm, I'm Ben. My pronouns are he and they. And then that opens the floor for them to kind of say, oh, hey, I'm, I don't know, whoever. I'm Jackie. And, you know, my pronouns are she. And like, so then you kind of create that space. And it also kind of, if that person happens to also be trans or gender nonconforming and there's people who who might not actually be trans but are just maybe they are cisgender and they dress the way that you know that isn't what you would normally consider that person's gender to dress or how they would dress because of again the way that society has molded us to think about things so i think when you say this is my name and these are my pronouns it kind of opens the floor and then the person can say oh yeah, this is my name and these are my pronouns. Or they may look at you and say, why are you telling me your pronouns? <laughs> then they, I don't know. It just, yeah, I think so to not necessarily ask, but also at the same time, you know, I have had people ask and mo- I think I can't say most, but some people will realize that as, oh, I, I guess, cause it could be taken two ways. They might see it as very validating in the sense that, oh, this person realized that it's, realizes that I'm gender variant and that my pronouns may not fit the way that I, or might not be what they think they are. But then it could also be if someone's, we talk about um, like people being cis assumed. So when people see me, they see this kind of like, oh, this, there's just like a regular old dude. And they don't, they might not necessarily know that I'm trans, but they're in, in other parts of my transition, that wasn't the case. It wasn't as, I guess, obvious. Or And even then, we should, like I said, we shouldn't assume people's identity or pronouns. But yeah, when we talk about people having cis, um, being cis assumed, so where people think that they're just a cisgender person, that doesn't necessarily mean that their pronouns go with whatever else. Is that the same thing as passing? So there's been, I don't, and when we talk about passing this is something that i'm educating myself on as well so i'm probably not the best person to like respond to it but there's been i've noticed a shift away from saying passing because it makes it seem like people are striving to be cis but it's like that's not what i'm striving to be at all so like why would you even say i'm cis passing and why you know why do i need to be cis passing so when people say cis assumed you know you, do you see that how that's different uh, the shift and how that can be. And that's something, you know, I'm going to probably look up again so that I can talk about it better. Um, but yeah, it's more of, so, I mean, that's, I think that also puts viewing being trans just on a binary. And while it is, some people do transition from female to male in like a binary way. There are other people who, who are not trying to be cis passing. Um, but with that being said, being cis assumed and me being a white person, I mean, there's just a lot of privilege that comes with that and it's all unearned. And so it's, I think now that I, I look this way, 
and you know, in addition to being white, now look like a white male. There's a lot of work that I've been doing about like that privilege and how do I use that to uplift other voices and like not speak for people, but like what are ways I can maybe step back so that other voices can be heard. So I'm like, that's something I'm navigating right now is this looking like a cis white man. (laughs) And because of that position, the position of that people of that demographic in our society. That's really huge and important. There's so much privilege that so many people, including myself, don't even realize we have because it's all we know. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really great that you're looking into that in any kind of way. What, What are some things you're learning in that world? You know, I used to be as I'd walk sometimes and I mean, I still have this uh, when I walk in the street, if I'm, if it's nighttime and I'm by myself, you know, I think growing up as a woman or being socialized as a woman, you know, we're taught to like have our head on a swivel and like have our keys in our hands, you know, or like whatever for these things to protect ourselves. And there was one time when I was walking one day um, in broad daylight and I noticed like I was walking behind this woman just downtown in New Orleans walking and um, she crossed the street and I was like, did she just, maybe she was, she was trying to go to this building right there, but she didn't like, she kept walking and she actually ended up, and it could have, it could have not been relevant, but it kind of made me think like, did she just cross the street because of me? Whereas like, I might've been the one to cross the street for somebody in the past. Um, also like right now with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, I've just been very much aware of my whiteness and I've been looking at that and how do I, what does that mean? And like, what, in what ways do I, have I benefited um, from these systems that are so outdated and so just wrong? And, you know, so I'm able to kind of see that I'm very, I'm trying to be mindful too of, you know, when I, when, for instance, when I'm speaking with maybe a group of women, like cis women who are my friends or stuff like that, I try to be, I'm very, I feel like I'm very aware of, am I, am I speaking over somebody did, and like, how does that look? Whereas if I'd said that previously looking, you know, identifying as a lesbian, looking as I did then, it might not have been viewed as that. But if I say this now or do say or do this thing in this manner now, it can be looked at as because I'm a male and me being like, I have this I guess it could be viewed differently, even though my intent was the same as it would have been a long time ago, um, or I was still operating in the same way. It just can be perceived differently. So even like eliminating certain words, I mean, working on eliminating certain words, like I've used to say the B word with a lot of my friends. And now I look at how that comes across, like, and just, it's just not a word I need to be saying anyway, but, you know, being aware of not trying not to say it. And then also as I'm doing that, I feel like it's, it comes out more often around my friends, but I've kind of gotten really better about not saying it around audiences that I don't know, because I realize that that just doesn't sound good. And like I said, to me, it's, it's something I'm trying to eliminate anyway, regardless, because it's, I don't like it, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's a lot of these little, it could be something and it's, I might do something one day and then I'll get really in my head about it. And the other person won't have even realized it at all. And then I might bring it up to them one day. I was like, yeah, I did this thing. And like, I was kind of wondering if you, if, if that made you feel any kind of way. And they're usually like, I didn't even notice. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) so I'm probably overthinking some of it, but I think, I mean, it's good to be more aware. And now I'm just learning to 
Whereas that again, learning some kind of balance there. Yeah, that's so interesting. Hearing kind of because you have both you grew up seeing it from like as a when you were younger from a woman's perspective, mm-hmm. knowing now that that's not the case. That's so. That must be such an interesting perspective to have, like, in the same group of people. And now you have a different level of privilege in them. And it matters what you say in different ways or walking behind someone crossing the street. Like, I can't imagine that shift in perspective. That must be so, like, just really eye-opening. It's also, um, it is. And it's also, and like, not necessarily in the sense of privilege, but something that I always find funny um, is when there was one time I was at work and there's this locker that... Um, some people put items in for people to use when, you know, they're menstruating. And so there was this locker and I was like, who, I said, who put that sign on that locker? Cause it was somebody who wrote it. It just didn't seem like anyone who'd ever had to deal with those products at all. Um, but the, it was just the way it was worded was weird. And I said, who wrote that? And this woman was like, Oh no, you don't have to worry about that. That's not for you. I was like, what? And she said, yeah, you don't, you don't need anything in there. Cause you're a man. I said, are you sure? <laughs> it was just so funny. It was like an older woman I work with, like who's not oh old, but she's like older than me. And so I, I always like those moments where I can kind of like not mess with people, but just like bring attention to it. Like, Hey, like what you're saying does not, that's not actually true. Like you're saying it's only women who use this, but that's not the case. Not, not all women need it. Um, not all women, you know, use it. And then some people who are men, might have these parts and might use it or some people who are non-binary might have this. So just to kind of create, it's like my fun way of being, you know, and I told her, you know, and so then I told her I was born, you know, female or whatever. And I'm pretty, like I said, some people don't know. So it's funny sometimes the way that it can kind of come out. I think people like learn from that, you know? So I think it definitely, she learned from it or there's been, you know, people, sometimes somebody was saying something about tampon then I chimed in about it. And that girl was like, well, how would you know? (laughs) I was like, well because i have this these parts um oh my gosh <laughs> and so i mean and just but to to be transparent like i could have equally said something as ignorant and when i use the word you know ignorant i don't use that in a way of it's not a derogatory word or like a negative connotation it's just i wasn't aware of it a long time ago i probably would have said something similar and yeah. so you know it's it's my transition has taught me a lot and it's also taught me to be more compassionate for other people as well and to realize like we're all just trying to get by through this thing called life and we're all very different and we cannot possibly know what someone else is going through especially a stranger so to just be try to be gentle with ourselves and also extend that to other people and I think in order to extend it to other people we need to learn how to be gentle with ourselves yeah that's really that's really special and very important I think like, I don't know, and I I think I used to be this way too, but being, I guess, challenged in ways like that, like in ways you are sharing that, like you're challenging the people around you. It's so important to be able to like be challenged and to be able to be taught and learn and see that as not like you're this bad person, but no, you just like need to learn that this there's more to it than you thought that there was. And right. I just think that's really cool. So I'm happy that you, I'm happy that you speak up because I can't, I'm sure that's not easy or I don't, I mean, I don't know, but like, I know I struggle with speaking up about most things. So I just think that that's really, that's very cool. It's gotten easier over time. It's become more, 
you know, it wasn't at first. And as I've realized like the importance of teaching people and introducing them to these other things, and there might be times where, I mean, it also depends on the situation. Do I feel safe in the situation to say it? There might be a situation where somebody says something, but I don't feel safe to say it. And I think it just depends on what, to what extent do I feel safe or I don't know, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I feel like we could get into like a whole conversation about when I travel and like navigating restrooms, you know, if I'm doing a road trip and if I'm in the South being cis assumed, it's not as big of a thing. But like I said, when I was first transitioning and kind of looked whatever way, it got to this point where I still feel comfortable. I rather use women's restrooms, but looking the way that I do, I can't go use a women's restroom. So I've had to like navigate. Okay. I know that most Starbucks have single stall, like all gender restrooms. So when I'm traveling or road tripping, I'm looking for where's Starbucks if I need to use a restroom because it could just be very dangerous. Like for other, you know, for, for me and for other people, because people are so closed minded when, I mean, we're going into this, this space to use the restroom just like anybody else. So it shouldn't be this problem, but it, you know, it's, we hear story and story after story of these problems that people experience. Yeah. And I've had it, you know, happen in an airport one day where I was, I sat there for about, it was about a five to 10 minute process of me like talking myself into being able to go to the restroom to be like, yep, just go, just go. And I I think it depended that day. I think because like on my license, I had an, I have an F for female. And also like there were some times where I would bind my chest, but other times where I would just wear a sports bra and you could, it was more visible that there was like breast tissue, even if I was wearing a hoodie or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what, my, my, my boarding pass I don't know if that's on it, but I, I put female when I booked my, my ticket. That's what's on my license. Uh, that's what's on my passport, whatever I had on me. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to go to the women's room. So then I go to walk into the women's room and this guy behind me is like, Hey man, you're going to the wrong bathroom. And it was just like, Ugh. I turned around and like, I would, I just said, thank you. I know. Or, or I just said, thank you. And I kind of had an attitude and I like went to go about my business. And then when I came out, the guy happened to still be standing there cause he was waiting for his wife. And I, I told him, I was like, Hey, I didn't mean to snap at you like that. You know, like I know I didn't have to go back and explain that to him, but I think, I mean, he was just trying to be helpful because <laughs> he yeah. saw me and it was like, so while it was validating that he saw me as male, it's just like, I don't need to be told what restroom to go to. Like, just let me do what I need to do. Yeah. So, um, and that's gotten a little easier too over time for me personally, but to just be, I mean, these are those things that like, yeah, most people don't even think about right is that yeah i'm just i'm gonna go to the restroom no big deal oh yeah there's so much to be said just about privilege in that regards like i i never think twice i just go to the bathroom i mean sometimes it's like a girl's bathroom but it's very different yeah and you know that was something i even even as a lesbian who was more masculine and had short hair i would always kind of get looks because then they might even realize that oh yeah this is a woman but oh she's a lesbian ew like why is she in here and she's just People are so oh <laughs> silly, you know? Yeah, that makes me so mad. <laughs> for, for lack of better words, they're silly. Yes, um, silly silly's a great way of saying it. <laughs> so you, you said you just had your surgery mm-hmm. in June, right? Yes. Okay, and you, how long do you have till you are healed and able to go back to work? About six weeks. I'm not, I've, right now, I'm not supposed to lift over 25 pounds um, until next week, my six-week mark. So... Um, I was able to, through work, like get it covered with part, most of it covered through my insurance. 
and was had been paying into like short-term disability so was able to kind of get some some relief there but again that's not always the case a lot of people pay for things out of pocket but yeah i'll be going back to work i guess in about a week or so and uh probably won't i have some limitations on how i can lift my arms i had a double double mastectomy so similar to kind of what a, a woman might have if she has to get her breast tissue removed with like breast cancer and things like that or other you know other reasons so i have these two scars beneath my pecs that the the reason i don't they don't want me moving lifting my elbow above my shoulder is to prevent that increase of scar tissue or the even even the visibility of the scar so I, i'll have some i won't be able to like reach above my elbow over my shoulder for for another six months or four months i guess um but I, and i'll just learn how to navigate that at work and use step stools, I guess, which I'm a pretty short person. So I use them often anyway. <laughs> but, Same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I, congratulations. That's a Thank huge, you. huge deal that you were able to do that and are now getting to just be in a body that you feel more comfortable in and more you. And I can just imagine how cool that feels. So I'm happy yeah, for I'm, you. Thank you. I'm still, I'm still adjusting to it. Um, there's days, you know, I'm walking by a window and I won't have a shirt on and I immediately like cover my chest. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't have to do that anymore. But no one should have to do that anyway. You know, that's again, another, another, (laughs) another time. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I, I have one final question for you, but before I ask, it's very, very change of pace from everything we've been talking about. So before I ask that, is there any, anything else that you want to share about your story or your relationship with your body or anything else that you feel like we didn't cover that you would love to be able to talk about? I think if it weren't for having access to healthcare to be on hormone replacement therapy, hormone replacement therapy and to have my surgery uh, and have providers who are competent in that and knowledgeable and just can, and advocate it for me when I couldn't without that, you know, I don't know where I would be. So it is important that people who are of trans or gender nonconforming experience have access to these things because it has been life-changing for me. And I feel as I'm still adjusting to some things, I definitely feel, and for me to just be transparent, like I don't want to have any bottom surgery or anything. So this was kind of the last thing for me. So I'm excited to, as I continue to heal, you know, continue to move about my life in this way. I believe that healthcare is a human right and that people should have access to the things that they need for their bodies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you said you wanted to get a job in healthcare? Yeah, I'm hoping to um, get involved in healthcare because I believe it's important for representation. I have since had doctors who are trans, but I mean, growing up, I didn't, I don't even know that I had a doctor who was within the LGBTQ community or not one who I felt safe kind of even talking about those things with. So I think just like it's important when we talk about like diversity and inclusion, it's important to have representation from people who are trans and gender nonconforming in healthcare so that they are at the table when they were talking about changing policy, when we're creating policies or, or changing policies or creating, you know, standards for care and things like that. If you're not getting that from people who have that experience, then you're not, what are you doing? You know, we can't speak for things that we don't experience. So yeah, I don't know exactly which route I want to get into yet. Maybe it's admin. Maybe it'll end up be as a provider in some way. But I'm on that journey now deciding how I want to be in healthcare. I, I hope to see change, you know, in healthcare over 
in my lifetime, I hope to see it continue to evolve and be more inclusive and affirming for people who are trans and gender nonconforming. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. I really am excited for that for that day to come and for you to get that opportunity because I could not agree more. I've learned so much from just this one conversation with you that I want your voice to be everywhere. Um, <laughs> so my last question for you is, would you rather every single time you had a hangnail, you turned your best friend into a hamster and your best friend remained a hamster until your hangnail healed. Okay. Or would you rather every time you brushed your teeth, your hair turned into Chex Mix until you were done brushing your teeth? So, like, if you're at the dentist, your hair is all going to be Chex Mix every morning, every night, whatever your dental routine is. It's just uh, the situation. Yeah, definitely the hamster. I don't get hangnails that often. So, <laughs> sorry to, and I don't even know. And, do I like determine who, how does that work? Do I determine who the best friend is? Cause I don't, I don't know who I would name. Like who would that even happen to? I think you would get to pick. Normally <laughs> I ask this one. <laughs> Maybe it could vary like different times. It's a different person. You just like, Oh, I got a hangnail. Who do I want? You Jake, yeah. you're the one. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I don't get those that often. So we'll go with that. Okay. That does sound more entertaining and it makes for a better story than checks mix hair. So I yeah. mad respect. Normally when I ask that question, I know, like who that was person's friends are and stuff. So I pick out the person, I, I pick out the victim of the hamster, but that's <laughs> all up to you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today and for reaching out and wanting to share your story on this podcast. That means the absolute world to me. I love, I love talking about these kind of stories and I love learning and I don't know, I, I would never know what it's like from your shoes. And so it's an honor to be able to hear it. Yeah, um, thank you there, for the opportunity. Yeah, of course. Is there any way or do you want people to be able to find you on social media or anything you want to bring attention to? Sure. Um, I'm assuming, I mean, I know my name will be typed in your, in the podcast title and whatnot, um, but it's, I have a, a website. It's my first and last name.com, Ben, C-O-L-L-O-N-G-U-E-S.com. That's for my photography. Um, I'm on Instagram at Ben behind the lens and yeah okay awesome well i will put all of that in the show notes below so for anyone listening that wants to uh keep in touch or see more and learn more about ben and just follow along on social media all that will be down there but anyway thank you so much ben i hope that you are holding up okay and during these strangest weirdest time in the world and maybe i will cross paths with you someday down in louisiana yeah thank you jackie all right, bye. All right, bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to support this podcast, then go to patreon.com slash Jackie G TV. That is where you can pledge as little as $1 a month to support this whole project and get involved and have the opportunity to maybe be interviewed on the show and other exciting things. Or if you want to learn more about my story, then you can pick up a copy of my book 
finding home over at my website, JackieGronland.com. All of these links will be in the show notes below. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week and I will see you next time.